0: Great. Thank you, Gemma. Uh, May we pray just for a moment longer? Some words uh, from uh, St. John's first letter. Uh, He says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command." Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Uh, Well, Jesus, we recognise those words are are easy to read, they're easy to say, they're easy to assent to in our hearts, and yet they are far harder to do. Uh, And we pray this evening as we look at this passage, which is a challenging passage, uh, lots of things, we could very easily skate over it. Uh, We pray that each of us would hear your voice speaking to us. Uh, Speak to us, we pray, give us hearts to listen. Uh, hearts to respond to what you have to say. Uh, And may we be a church that loves one another and loves those uh, who we find it difficult to love. For your name's sake. Amen. Uh, I reckon wherever you go in the world, uh, if you find a group of people together, they will more than likely be marked out by some kind of sign or or a symbol. Uh, So give a few examples. Uh, If you see a group of people uh, in uh, Norwich City Centre wearing yellow and green scarves, you can hazard a guess. They've got some kind of connection with uh, with Norwich City, I would imagine. Uh, if you go to London and you see a group of soldiers and they're in red tunics and they've got kind of bear skin busby hats, you know they're going to be from one of the Guards regiments. That's uh, that's kind of the marker. Uh, slightly different. If you're driving along uh, the uh, the motorway and you see a couple of golden arches in the distance, you know it's going to be there. You're going to find people representing McDonald's. Yes, you are. Uh, the sign of Christianity ha- has always been the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, you find it uh, displayed in churches, you'll find it on Bibles, uh, you'll find it in jewellery, we sing about it, and, and rightly so. That's always been the sign, uh, because in the death of Jesus we celebrate the central events in the history of humankind. It, it was the moment when our sin was dealt with and a way to God was opened up for us. But actually, before Jesus went to the cross, he gave his friends another sign to mark them out. Uh, Familiar words. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. The sign of love. Uh, Paul has been explaining for us in Romans... Uh, how it is that God in his kindness can welcome us back, uh, how he can deal with our sin, all the stuff that separates us from a holy God, and uh, welcome us back to be his friends. But like Jesus, he knows that if we've been shown love in the cross of Jesus, then we must show that love to others. Uh, we were looking the other week at uh, Romans 12. Romans 12. And he says uh, this, for Romans 12, very first uh, chapter, uh, verse, or Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. That in view of God's mercy governs the whole sort of ch- uh, chapter, really, Romans from here on in. Uh, all of this is a response to the love of God shown in the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, and he says here that the sign of Jesus, friends, that the sign of those who have been loved is in turn to love themselves and I think broadly speaking in this passage uh, he gives us uh, two ways in which Christian love is to be expressed two ways in which Christian love is to be expressed and the first is that he says that Christian love means loving one another Christian love means loving one another Love is. Uh, it always has been one of the most powerful factors in the lives of human beings. There are countless songs and that have been written about it. Countless uh, films have love as the main kind of plot driver. Uh, wars have been fought over love. Great deeds have been done in the name of love. But but Christian love it is something very different to the love of the world. Uh, it's based on conviction for a start. It's not simply based on feelings, as so much of the the world's love would be. Uh, Christian love is is spiritual love. It's given to us as a gift of God through his Holy Spirit. Paul told us that in Romans chapter 5. It's not something we can summon up by ourselves. Above all, Christian love is is sacrificial. It's prepared to give up anything for another person. It is the love that took Jesus to the cross. It's so different, in fact, that actually the, the, the Bible uses a different word for it. You'll probably know that the, the original language the New Testament was written in was Greek. Uh, the Greeks have many different words for love. But there's only one word that they use to talk about Christian love. Agape. They had to have a special word for it, because it is different, radically different. Uh, and this love, this, this agape love, Paul says, this is the love that should mark out Christians. And I think in the first part of this passage, he he explains how it should affect our relationships within the church, within the church family. And lots of things he says. Uh, Firstly, he tells us, verse 9, love must be sincere. It must be genuine. We might think we always wish that love is sincere, but if you've been in church for any length of time, you will have come across people where their love isn't very sincere. It was a bit of an act, to be frankly honest. Uh, By contrast, the the love of Jesus was always genuine love, and it always is genuine love. And you can tell that because he died for us. He proved his love on the cross. And so Paul says that's how it should be for his followers as well. Their love for one another must be sincere. It's got to be real. It's got to be genuine. Not just for show. Not just love when loving somebody serves us or it suits our needs. We want to be thought of well by someone else. Uh, loving not when others are watching, loving with sincerity. He goes on, he says, uh, uh, Love must be family love, verse uh, 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. It's often said, isn't it, that we, uh, we can choose our friends, but we can't choose our family. Uh, it's just as true if we're in the Christian family, in the church. Uh, and Paul tells us that actually if we, we are Christians, if we know Jesus then that means that our uh, church family are like family to us, just as our our blood relatives might be, whether we like them or not. There's a few uh, mad uncles, a few mad aunts in every church family. They are our family, just as much as uh, our blood relatives. We're brothers and sisters. And actually, like brothers and sisters, we're called to love one another. The Bible explains that, that God's great plan that he's been working for from, since the start of creation is to create a new family. Uh, he's to, to, uh, to, to draw people together uh, by his spirit through the work of the Lord Jesus to form a family. And as part of this new family, you and I are called to love each other in brotherly love. At least in one way, Paul says, that love will be shown Uh, by honouring others above ourselves. It goes on, doesn't it, in verse 10. Honour one another above yourselves. Uh, If we really are loving each other, just as Jesus has loved us, then I think it will find it pretty hard to put ourselves in front of them. Uh, Which Paul says in, in Philippians, we're to have this mind among us which is that mind in Christ Jesus he goes on to talk about how Jesus uh, gave up the privileges of heaven he 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 didn't count uh, himself as greater uh, than another Uh, and that should be how it should be with his followers as well love will show itself in our church as we honor others above ourselves he goes on Uh, he says love must be enthusiastic love verse uh, 11 "Uh, never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Uh, we live in a world, don't we, that is very cynical about enthusiasm of any sort, uh, particularly uh, religious enthusiasm. Uh, it's hardly a week that seems where it goes by, where someone is waxing uh, uh, lyrical about the uh, dangers of kind of religious fanatics uh, somewhere. Uh, to be an enthe- to, to admit that you are enthusiastic in religious terms, uh, uh, to the world, it is seen as, frankly, at best, misguided. Probably, at worst, it means you're dangerous and you should be stopped. But Paul says that's the quality that should mark our Christians. We should be enthusiastic. Keep our spiritual fervour. Serving the Lord. It's a good thing to be enthusiastic about serving God. It's a good thing to be, be, be wonderfully in love with him. Not because we think that if we're enthusiastic he'll love us any more. Of course he won't. But it is, of course, as a response to his wonderful, enthusiastic love for us. Paul goes on fourthly. Love must be hospitable love, he says. Uh, Verse 13. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. He says love means that we're to be generous to those who are in need. And one way of doing that is to open up our homes to them. Once again, we, we live in a society where to open your home up to somebody is profoundly countercultural. At uh, Some areas of society, it, it's, it's a bit easier. There are some places you go, and, it, and it, is, it is more of a kind of accepted thing. But in general, I, th- I think we, it's not something that we find easy. Uh, we live in a society that treats our homes as our own. We are free to decorate them as we want. They are almost our refuge from the outside world. Uh, Why would we open them up and let other people in, people who might be difficult? Uh, It's it's a very vulnerable thing to do, and society doesn't get it. But actually, someone once said, Christianity is a religion of the open hand, the open heart, and the open home. And it's true. All those things are true. Open hands, open hearts, open home. Uh, Christian love means showing hospitality to one another. It's uh, said that the uh, young uh, Gandhi was spiritually restless, and he, uh, as part of his kind of spiritual search, he uh, began attending a church uh, quite nearby uh, to where he was. Uh, He was attracted by what he heard from the front. He thought the preaching was was astonishing. He was very attracted by this Jesus that they seemed to speak about. But he was appalled at what he saw. The bitterness that so many people were carrying, the outright snobbery, the, the lying, the pride, above all, the lack of love. And apparently he never went back and actually, in fact, became quite an opponent of Christianity. If we're people who've been transformed by the love of Jesus Christ, then that should be evident, shouldn't it, from how we treat each other. We, we should be distinguished by our genuine love for one another love that shows in our care that shows in our attention for people's needs and as we do so, the world will notice and the world will be attracted by it and they'll be attracted more importantly to the jesus the lord who loves us and who we serve there's lots of things in this list Uh, the best thing i think probably for me to say to you to do is just read it through prayerfully and ask the lord to highlight anything particular that you think uh, he might be putting your finger on. I was away on holiday uh, this week. I was reflecting on on this and a few other passages, uh, and I was struck that I don't think I'm as enthusiastic. I'm not as zealous as I perhaps have been in the past. I'm tired. I keep on. It feels like sometimes you keep doing the same old thing, same old, same old. We lose our enthusiasm. And I want to pray that the Lord uh, encourages me and and, and refreshes my enthusiasm. I can say that I'm not lacking in zeal, but I've kept my spiritual further, serving the Lord. Maybe some of you will think, well actually I've got a big home, or maybe I haven't got a big home, but I could offer hospitality, I can do something. Uh, Why not uh, pray into that? Above all, all of us can pray, can't we, that as a church we will grow into that attractive, loving community that Paul speaks about here. It's not going to be easy, it doesn't come naturally, Uh, but what a time as well as we approach a vacancy. Uh, So often churches in vacancies are not loving communities. Inevitably, people start to, you know, jostle for uh, their own positions. They start pushing forward what their agendas. Uh, they are no school for their lack of love. Uh, what a challenge for us as we go into uh, what will be a difficult year as a church. To love one another just as Christ has loved us. Christian love means loving one another. But Paul also says that Christian love means loving our enemies. Christian love means loving our enemies. Uh, Paul is very clear, I think, that the Christian love can't simply be confined to how we treat our fellow Christians. It also has to transform how we treat those who are outside the church, outside our church walls, and actually particularly those who are, are, are our enemies, those who oppose us, those who do oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ and those of us who follow him. Jesus promised, didn't he, that actually just as the world hated him, so the world will hate those who follow him as well. Uh, we, we shouldn't be surprised when we experience opposition uh, for Jesus, uh, because we follow him. And just as uh, they, tr- they treated our master like that, so they will treat his servants. But what does it mean to respond in love? Well, I think Paul gives us a few suggestions uh, here. Let's have a look. Well, he says, first of all, that loving enemies means blessing them and not cursing them. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Again, it is, of course, exactly the example of Jesus. On the cross, remember, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. If ever there was a moment when perhaps a curse might even have been appropriate, surely that was it, an unjust man Suffering, being treated, uh, being appallingly mistreated. And yet, even as he hung there, the Lord Jesus prayed forgiveness on those who killed him. Uh, Later on in the New Testament, we're told the example of Stephen, the first man to lay down his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, he prayed those same words that Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. And what happened as a result of both of those prayers? God answered them, didn't they? When Jesus prayed, the centurion turned and said, surely this man was the son of God. He turned in faith. Uh, When Stephen prayed, of course, uh, 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 we're told that Saul was there giving approval to his death, and yet in a matter of weeks, months, he too had turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who knows what can happen when we pray for our enemies? God is able to do something amazing in uh, even the hardest of hearts. Paul goes on, he says that uh, not only does uh, loving our enemies mean blessing them, but he says that loving our enemies means living in peace rather than seeking to pay them back. Uh, Verse 17, he says, Do not repay anyone for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace uh, with everyone. Again, Paul is just simply affirming what the Lord Jesus himself said. Remember his great teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Of course, we know that when we're subject to abuse and opposition, that the natural response is to seek to pay them back, to get revenge. Paul says we we shouldn't only resist this, but actually we should actively seek to live in peace as well. We should be working for peace, living in harmony with one another. Uh, if it a uh, live at peace with everyone he's not naive about this because clearly he qualifies it doesn't he notice he says if it is possible as far as it depends on you uh, paul knows that there will be times when this it will prove an impossibility sadly either because the person who we're seeking to live at peace with or the people we're seeking to live at peace with uh, will not respond uh, maybe he's also thinking if sometimes we that that actually we need to take a stand on something if, if bible truth is being compromised Uh, inevitably we will need to take a stand, and that might mean that peace is ruptured. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. But he does say, as far as we can, we should work for peace. Again, he continues, "Uh, loving our enemies means leaving revenge to God rather than seeking it uh, for ourselves. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. Uh, How can Paul say this? Well, he says it because he knows that actually revenge is is God's right. It's not ours at all. We might wish that we could take revenge on someone when we feel wronged, but actually he knows that it's God's right and God's alone. Uh, Inevitably, our anger will be tainted by sin. Uh, Even though uh, we might be angry for good reasons, perhaps we've seen injustice or something like that, or we've been uh, mistreated, uh, but whatever that anger, it will be inevitably tainted by sin. We will respond disproportionately. We will uh, respond in ways that are, 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 are not loving and are not appropriate. God's anger, by contrast, or, or his wrath, as the Bible describes it, uh, is perfect. It's never sinful anger, it's his just settled hostility to evil. Uh, And Paul knows that that one day we we can trust that it will be fully expressed when Christ returns in judgment. Uh, We can leave things with God because we know that one day he will do it. Uh, Christ will return and all those who uh, have mistreated him and have mistreated his followers uh, will get what they deserve. And we can trust that it may not be pleasant, but it will be perfectly in tune with God's, uh, God's justice. It will be perfectly fair. We can leave it to God. Instead, Paul says, instead of uh, seeking revenge, we should serve them. And he gives some practical examples, verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Uh, We can leave justice to God and just get on with serving people. uh, Meet their needs, practically, whatever that looks like. I guess we're to treat them really as our friends, aren't we? And as our brothers, uh, ancestors and in doing so Paul says we will heap burning coals on his head it's a slightly strange phrase isn't it Paul isn't saying that by doing so we're going to heap further punishment on them of course but rather I think he's saying that our, our love in some way will bring them to shame it'll put them to shame it, it may be actually will even bring them to repentance as we treat people who have wronged us as our friends as we serve them in love then amazingly, God in his grace can use that to bring them to to repentance. As the love of the cross is shown, so we can trust that God in his mercy will will draw those who are our enemies and who are his enemies into responding to that love and becoming his friends as well. Do not be overcome by evil, he says, but overcome evil with good. One of the most powerful stories I think I've heard of the power of the gospel to transform our love for our enemies is told by a lady called uh, Connie Ten Boom. She was a Dutch lady. She uh, lived in the, uh, the, sort of the, the middle of the last century, through to the second half of the last century, I suppose. Um, and uh, she had a, a, a very interesting life, I suppose, a very eventful life. Uh, she was arrested in the Second World War and imprisoned uh, along with her family for hiding Jews uh, from the Nazis. And, uh, and she and her sister uh, eventually ended up in uh, one of the notorious um, Nazi concentration camps, at Ravensbrück, I think. Uh, and her sister died in Ravensbrück. It was a horrific time, as you can imagine. Uh, after the war, she had a, a writing and speaking ministry, and particularly focusing on forgiveness and love for enemies, and she tells a story in one of her books, actually, of, of how she'd, she'd been teaching in uh, Germany after the war. And uh, she was approached by one of the cruelest of uh, her former concentration camp guards. And this is what uh, she describes. I'm going to read it here. She says, it was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. He was the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing centre at Ravensbrück. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that, as you say, Jesus has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, but I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And she goes on, as I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it's not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his But when he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, that love itself. It's powerful stuff, isn't it? The good news of the Bible is that you and I, the the enemies of God by right, the rebels who have rejected him, who have hated him, who deserve his just anger, have been offered forgiveness he stretched out his nail-pierced hands to us to take, to become his friends. And when we respond to his love, we, we in turn will find ourselves able to offer that love to others. Even those who are unlovely, even those who are enemies. Maybe it's the neighbour who is always uh, cynical and sneering when we try to invite them on to a Christian explorer or an alpha course. Maybe it's our colleague at work who always sniggers when uh, there's an opportunity to knock our Christian faith. But we'll be able to love them through the love of Jesus Christ. Christian love means loving our enemies. What are the marks of the church? The marks of the church are the cross of Jesus Christ and the love that we have for each other, the love we have for him, the love we have for our enemies. Is that the mark of Holy Trinity this evening? Is that the mark that people can see in you or me? Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, just as we've been thinking on these things, we're surely aware of how, how far we fall short of what Paul outlines here. We praise and thank you that you have loved us. We realise we do not deserve your love at all. Uh, We are supremely unlovely. And yet you have shown love to us in the cross. And we pray that you would be at work in each of us. uh, That we might love one another. We might be a family who are marked by genuine deep love, gospel love for one another. But love for the unlovely, love for those who hate us, love for those who oppose us. Help us, we pray, by your Spirit. We know that we can't do it by ourselves. Amen.